Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I don't at me. Man, we're, uh, I'm going to lie, we're setting all kind of records for this show late, lately. I don't know what's going on, and today may be the best ever. We, we like talking to legends. You know what? We like talking to national championship coaches, national championship players, Barkley, you know, McAfee, Media Kings, but we're sitting here with a real legend, Joe Thomas, former Cleveland Browns, 11 years in the NFL, all-time consecutive snaps guy. Joe, full disclosure, I didn't give a rat's about the Browns until I became the head coach at Bowling Green State University basketball. We got the Browns. I went to the stadium. A buddy of mine was the uh, had season tickets, lives in Hudson, Ohio. And I kind of fell in love with the whole Browns thing, man. You know what I mean? Like, the pregame outside, the dog pound, you got, I, I fell in love with the deal. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great, man. And I think there's something to be said about that Rust Belt football, Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit, Green Bay, like in those cities, it just means a little bit more when your team's on. And I think that's why the fans in Cleveland are just so passionate and why they're pretty popular throughout the entire country and people feel for them. You know, these are programs outside of green Bay that have been down for a long time. And that fan base continues to be passionate. I think that's why throughout the country, there's a lot of people that even if you're not a Detroit, a, a Buffalo, a Cleveland fan, they're, they're pulling for these teams to get over the hump and win some super bowls. You know, I, I'm sure you know this, you know it better than I do, but hundred years ago, I was assistant coach at Indiana for Coach Bob Knight, and a friend of mine owned a big bar there. And he's like, hey, you got to come over. Do you know about the Browns backers? I said, I got nothing for you. <laughs> he goes, no, NFL ticket or whatever was just coming in, man. His bar in Bloomington freaking Indiana was packed every Sunday for the freaking Browns game. It's amazing the loyalty, the passion of Browns fans goes beyond even the borders of the USA. One of my favorite things in training camp was to kind of look at the signs that were on the wall at practice. And inevitably, there'd be Browns backers, Australia, Browns backers, London, <laughs> Browns backers, New Zealand. And it was so fun to be able to go over there and talk to these people. And they legitimately had planned their entire year around going to training camp for a week, seeing the Browns game, the Browns preseason game, seeing the Browns go through their uh, training camp routine. And a lot of times they'd have these cool shirts. They'd give you the shirts and sign some autographs for them. And they were great keepsakes for the players to be able to bring home with them. And I've still got a bunch of them in my closet. It's pretty cool as a memory to like how passionate and loyal Browns fans are throughout the world. Yeah, I try to tell people, you know, I mean, I look, the Browns haven't had the most success, but I try to tell people, you just don't, I didn't understand it. Hey, what do you think? We got an elf as a logo middle of the field. How are we doing with that? Are we good with that? What's that mean? Oh, man, I love it. You know, Dan, what's tougher than a snarling 30-foot elf at midfield of your football stadium? Like, I love this so much, and I know a lot of people are going to probably poo-poo it because, oh, it's an elf. Oh, but look at that. Look at the graphics on that thing. 
That is cool. That is something that everybody, every fan in the NFL can get excited about. And even if you're in the 1% and you say, oh, the Browns, they're the Browns. They're named after Paul Brown, a person that has nothing to do with an elf or a dog. Like, what are you doing? Put an elf. You got to look at that and say, hey, that, that's pretty cool to be able to, as an NFL team, put that right in the midfield of your precious uh, altar to football. That, that That's pretty special. And it was voted on by the fans. Joe, I got to ask you now. I, I've been to enough Brown ga- Browns games, you know, in the in the early two thousands. I don't really pay attention. In fact, when I coached at Bowling Green, I told a mascot Zippy to zip at Akron, and I was going to punch him if he didn't get away from me. You know, what I mean, get away from me, Zippy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I don't. But is the is the elf always running around there? Is that like a mascot every every Browns game? I, I don't I don't remember seeing it. Well, as you can imagine, there's been some challenges in deciding what is the Cleveland Browns official mascot because they were named, like I mentioned, after their first one of their first coaches and their first owner, Paul Brown, who ended up going and found in the Cincinnati Bengals. So how do you have a mascot that's not just like an old guy on the sideline, right? So so they've got the dog right. pound, which was started by Han- Hanford Dixon, which is that uh, south end zone where it's bleacher seats. It's where the most passionate and loyal fans sit. Um, and so from the dog pound, they've got a dog, which is, a, you know, a, a cool mascot. The kids love the dog. Um, they've got a, a real dog and a mascot dog. And then, of course, there's this elf that trolls around. And to be honest, uh, when I was playing for the Browns, I didn't really study the history of like how the elf also became <laughs> yes. a mascot. But I will say my kids were really afraid of it when they were little, and now they love it. And so if the opposing team is as intimidated about the logo at midfield as my kids were when they were little, the Browns are in for a lot of home victories this season. Yeah, all I think about when I see elves is cookies, elves in a tree, Keebler, you know, fudge stripe cookies, that kind of thing. Happy thoughts, right? Like, who doesn't love Keebler the elf? Who doesn't love... You know, the uh, the grasshoppers, that, that that was always my favorite uh, Keebler cookie. But, I mean, come on. Just yeah. Feel, right? You go walk into that stadium, you drink a beer, you feel good looking at Keebler the Elf at midfield. Joe, if you say it, particularly about the Browns, uh, look, I, I'm going to believe it. Uh, let me go through a couple of things with you and, and your career. I mean, you – 11 years, all with the Browns, 10 years Pro Bowl. Um, you come out, you're the third player picked in the draft. And I look, when you're a left tackle, everybody expects you to be the greatest. You lived up to it. How, wh- what's the key? Because when you – I would argue this. You said this earlier. You know, football has really changed. Well, in your time, and I'll, I'll have you speak to this, when you came into the league in 07 to when you retire 11 years later, correct me if I'm wrong – but in-game football really, really changed, did it not? The game changed while you were playing those 10 years. Yeah, not only the plays that you're running on offense look completely different, but sort of the strategy of winning football has completely changed. When I got in the NFL, it was all about big, strong, tall pocket passers that could throw the football you know, 40, 50 times a game from a spot, seven and a half yards behind the center. Think Peyton Manning, Tom uh, Brady, Phillip Rivers, those type of players. And obviously now it's transitioned to a quarterback that can get outside the pocket, that can do damage on the run, or even more so to that area. Like when you look at a Lamar Jackson, who's running a lot of these RPOs, he's a big part of the run game. Josh Allen leading his team in rushing 
where you're actually giving the quarterback a lot of design runs. So it makes it a lot more difficult on a defense because they got to cover a lot more of the field on any given play rather than, hey, if it's a pass, I know the quarterback's going to be here and all I have to do is cover these five receivers that are down the field. Now they have to cover basically the entire field from sideline to sideline because the quarterback can go wherever he wants. But also from a strategy standpoint, I mentioned, right? When I got in the NFL, it was like, hey, play good defense. Let's be tougher than the other guy. Let's play harder and then run the football and we'll be happy winning 13 to 10 or 10 to seven. Like, just don't make mistakes, which, you know, that's sort of like the old school meathead philosophy that, you know, every old NFL fan loves, right? It's like, ah, we can win. What's the, what's the difference for us? We're going to be tougher than those guys. Okay. Those are all things that you can't put your finger on. What does that even mean? I don't know. But like, hey, if you win, it's because we're tougher and we practice harder. Um, but now it's so much more analytical based. It's so much more about scoring points and understanding that just not making mistakes is not the best strategy to win a lot of games in an NFL season. You can be about 500. If you play good defense, you run the ball and you don't make mistakes. But if you want to be a championship caliber team, you got to be able to go and score points with the likes of Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Those are the guys you have to compete with in the NFL if you want to be in that situation to win a Super Bowl at the end of the season. Joe, what about the physicality difference? A lot of former players talk about the lack of physicality. Now, I look at it, and I'm like, look, I ain't getting out there. You guys would kill me. But what, what, speak to that if you don't mind. So it's the old, like, hey, I used to walk uphill both ways and six inches of snow to school like the old school mentality of it was always harder in our day now granted i i i played in those days when we had two day practices two three hour practices in pads you're smashing your head against the other guy like it hurt more there's no doubt but i'm not willing to say that just because we lined up in uh, inside of a little beehive and smashed our head against each other in a game that that makes it tougher than now spreading dudes out and giving guys 30 or 40 yard head starts as they start, you know, Star Wars shooting at each other with their bodies. To me, it's just as physical. It might not be as much of like a, a civil war, like line up and just smash each other, but the physicality is there, if not even more so, because the guys that are getting these hits, they're not seeing it as much. And that's why I think sometimes some of these catastrophic injuries are going up a little bit. Whereas like in my day, the injuries were more wear and tear throughout the course of the season because we were practicing in a much more physical manner as far as just how many times I was hitting my skull against another guy. And then how many times in a game we were lining up in 21 personnel, which is two backs and a tight end versus seven or eight dudes in the box. And we were just like civil war sides, just marching at each other and smashing and seeing who would win. Like to me, it's different, but it's no less physical today than it was when I got to the NFL. Joe, uh, Bernie, uh, not Bernie, uh, Breaker Mayfield comes back and all the stuff going around. What, what, what was you, as a former Brown, as a legend, uh, as a guy that is in the public eye, uh, what was your take on Baker Mayfield coming back and how would you have responded? Let's say you were a defensive player. Would it made any difference whether it was Baker Mayfield or Matt Ryan? Well, there was obviously a lot more emotion wrapped up into this first game with the Browns and the Panthers because of the history with Baker Mayfield being their quarterback and getting dumped in the offseason for Deshaun Watson. And it's interesting. I've got a lot of friends in the locker room still, and you talk to a lot of those guys, and I've got a lot of friends in coaching, in the front office, in the staff. 
And just about everybody has an opinion on Baker Mayfield. I know it's a real shocker out there. He's been a non-polarizing guy his entire life. But uh, you talk to a lot of guys on offense, they love him. Like, he's their dude. They they were so sad when he was traded, and they wish he was still the quarterback. They understand the situation. But they loved him, right? And then you talk to some guys on defense. Not all guys, but some guys. And I think Baker um, – Miles Garrett alluded to it a little bit this past week when he talked about like the relationship was complicated between especially Baker and Miles and then Baker in that defense. Uh, and I think some of it stemmed from the fact that the defense felt like they were doing enough last season, especially and the offense led by Baker wasn't holding up their end of the bargain. And they ended up with a mediocre season when they all felt like they had the best roster in the NFL. And then I think it's just when you're not having the success you expected, some of those personality traits that maybe you fall in love with when you're winning, the cockiness, the arrogance, the ego, those things, maybe are the same reasons you don't like the guy when you're not having the success you expected. It's a little bit like Major League, you know, being a Cleveland guy. I always love the Major League movies. Remember Jack Parkman? Like, they love him when he's in their jersey and he's hitting home runs for you, but as soon as he's not playing well or he's in the other jersey, that's exactly the reasons that you hate him. And so I think for the Browns, there was – Definitely a referendum, a revenge factor in that game to be able to try to get that victory, especially for the people in the front office that made the decision to move on from Baker, to be able to sort of win the referendum on, yep, this was the right decision. We moved on from Baker because we're trying to win Super Bowls. We're not just trying to get to the playoffs and win playoff games. And we felt that Baker had a ceiling and we gave him a couple seasons with the best roster in the NFL. He wasn't able to produce more than one playoff victory. And we're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And that's one thing I give the Browns credit for. Like they took a big risk and a big chance because they're saying to their fans, we're here to win Super Bowls. We're not just here to fill seats and be competitive from year to year. Are you good with what the Browns and the NFL have done so far with Deshaun Watson? You know, that's one of the crazy questions that's been dissected a million different ways this offseason. And no matter what you feel about things until you get to the discipline part of the show it's like all right let's just go by the letter of the law because when we are in the nfl or we live in america we believe in all right if there's crime let's find out what the punishment should be based on the letter of the law and based on what the nfl and the nflpa agreed to they came up with an 11 game suspension and that makes both sides unhappy because the players and the Browns fans certainly, and probably people in the Browns organization felt like they should have left it up to the independent judge arbiter who decided that six games was appropriate based on precedent in the situation. The NFL didn't like that because they wanted at least a year. They got 11 games when it was appealed. And so I think whenever you have a situation of crime and punishment within the NFL rules, if you find a punishment that both sides are unhappy with, you probably found the right balance between harshness and softness. And so I think more than anything, it's good that this is behind the Browns. It's behind the NFL. And now we can move forward with the punishment phase and then get Deshaun Watson back in a Cleveland Browns uniform. Do, do you think it is behind, like as a former Brown legend, do, are you good with him being there? Well, that goes into like personal feels and things like that. And really as a legend, as an analyst, like I just am kind of looking at what did the team decide to do? Like as they d moved on from Baker Mayfield and then what was the punishment? Like if, Deshaun would have been suspended much longer. It becomes a lot harder to get behind the decision from a strictly like, is this guy going to make your team better? Because he's not going to be able to be there. But 
I think with the 11 game suspension, he's going to be there the last six games of the season. And there's no doubt that from a football standpoint, he upgrades that position. And you hope that he's going to be there long enough that he can do a lot of really good things off the field and hopefully maybe do, do enough things that people at least are okay with the direction that he's headed and the man that he has become as a Cleveland Brown. And he's doing enough good things on the field where you feel good about where the direction of the team is headed and that he can lead all these 52 other men and these coaches to hopefully a championship in Cleveland. Joe, I got to ask you, as a guy really big in the community, do they ask you to help or, or to get involved with, for lack of a better word, what you just said, kind of the rehab of Deshaun Watson within the city? Do they ask you to be involved in that? You know, from a Deshaun Watson standpoint, personally, I don't know what the rehab situation is now that the punishment has been handed down. I'm sure there's encouragement. Like everybody in the Browns organization certainly wants to see Deshaun from this point forward do as many good things as he possibly can because obviously, according to the NFL, he did some really bad things to get an 11 game or what they wanted to be more than 11 game suspension. And so to try to find some balance in your rehab process about going out and doing good things, certainly I would think the Browns are encouraging that. And from uh, my perspective, when I was a player, they did a really good job putting together uh, programs and reaching out to you with their community relations department to offer you the opportunity to give back, to be impactful, to be meaningful in your giving and to be meaningful in your community service. Uh, and I always took those opportunities because there's a lot of really, really good charities in Cleveland. There's a lot of really good causes that you can get behind. And it's so nice in the busyness of the season to have an entire community relations department behind you saying, hey, by the way, if you want to come, we have this Taste of the NFL event that benefits the Cleveland Food Bank. Oh, we have a banquet on a Thursday night. We made it Thursday because we know that's the last night of the week that you players can attend. We'd love you to be there for some of these auction items to raise notoriety and publicity around the Providence House, which is a great uh, institution that helps take young children when their parents, when their moms or dads are going to have to go away for a little while and so that they don't have to go into the foster care system. There's a lot of great charities in the Cleveland area and the Browns do an excellent job of kind of helping you connect those dots and making it as easy as possible on you to be able to give back to that community. Joe, how the hell did you play over 10,000 straight snaps at that yeah. position? What, 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 what's the secret? Give me, help me out here as an old man, help, help a brother out here. What, what, what do I need? What, what did you do? what did you do? Uh, well, I, I tell you those 10,000 plus snaps make me feel like an old man a little bit, but it was weird. Like it wasn't really until the middle part of my career, like you're five or six that I even realized that there was uh, such a streak. I mean, I knew that I had never gone out of a game, but I didn't know that it was a thing until somebody kind of brought it up. Um, hey, by the way, you haven't missed any plays yet, have you? And then at that point in my career, I kind of started realizing like, I should probably keep this going. You know, it's not something that I, you ever set out to do, but let's, let's keep this going. And then, you know, fast forward to like year 10, when I was a pro or 10 and 11, where I was approaching 10,000, which is obviously a huge milestone. And I started having like a little bit of nervousness that something goofy was going to happen. And the streak was going to end at like 9,962 because my chin strap broke or like, I got something in my eye yeah. and I had to go out of the game, like something goofy. But I, I think it's just like offensive line play. A lot goes into your performance. There's a lot of variables. Um, and for me personally, obviously having 
great genes of being durable is a big part of it. Like there's some guys that just get injured. Some guys don't get injured throughout my entire athletic career. I've had very few times where I couldn't play. As a matter of fact, I never missed a start in my entire football career going back to like seventh grade. So I was always available, which was a big deal until I tore my tricep tendon in year 11. But um, so I think sort of that's a big thing, but also listening to your body and understanding and, and knowing that mind and muscle connection and being able to self-evaluate like, ooh, hamstrings getting a little tight today. I probably shouldn't just run onto the field and go through my normal routine. I need to get in the training room. I need to get with the strength coaches and do a few extra exercises, either opening that area up or maybe getting some massage so that it's functioning and firing the correct way. So just listening to your body and trying to do that prehab to get ahead of any injuries, I think was a big thing. And like the yoga that I did, especially in the off season, kind of helped connect my brain to like my muscles and all the different parts of my body so that I could feel if something potentially was going to happen so I could get ahead of it before it did happen. Joe, was there ever a moment that, you know, you had to make a decision to keep the streak alive? Like, man, this ain't good, but I'm not screwing this streak up over this. Was there ever one of those? So it was close a few times. I always had the perspective on my own career on the field of my body will tell me when I can't play anymore. Like it will physically, I'll go out there and something will happen and I'll know. It's not going to be something where you wonder, oh, am I hurt enough to get off the field? Because I played a lot of defense, even in college a little bit. Um, and you get banged up a lot. Like there's a lot of times when you're hurting bad, but you go back to the huddle, you brush it off, you rub some dirt on it. And you go and you keep playing and eventually your body will just say like, Hey, you can't play on that. Like I tore my ACL in college. As soon as that happened, I knew I tore my tricep tendon, my 11th year in the NFL. When that happened, I knew. Um, and outside of that, like the closest I'd ever been, I tore my LCL grade two and my left knee in the last game of the season. And it led to some instability in the knee, but I had the doctors check it out. I could try to do my pass sets. And so I went out, I played the rest of the game, got an MRI after the game. Turns out would have been out four to six weeks, but it was the last game of the season. So streak is intact. Um, so there was like little things that happened like that, that I got a little bit fortunate with. Uh, but overall, I just always took the perspective, like the body will tell you, you, you can't tell the body when it's, it's not okay to play any more football. Brown's good enough this year. Last thing, I'll let you go. Brown's good enough? Good enough to get deep run in the playoffs, Super Bowl, AFC championship game, that kind of thing? They've got a top five defense. They've got the best running game in the NFL. They've got Jacoby Brissett for 11 weeks. Uh, first game with Jacoby was a little bit rocky, a little up and down. There was a lot of jitters there. But I think if they can get to week 13, which I think is the first week that Deshaun Watson comes back, they're going to Houston if they can get there above 500, it puts them in great position to be able to finish strong in December and get into the playoffs because everyone talks about how great the AFC is, which is a valid point. Trust me, that's where all the good teams are. You look at, especially after the first week of the season, like the NFC is not all that strong. But what that means is in the AFC, teams are going to be beating each other up. And so there's going to be a lot of teams around 500 in that playoff race down the stretch. And so when Deshaun comes back, they really have an opportunity to separate themselves if they are in the middle of the pack uh, when Deshaun comes off that suspension list. Joe, last, last thing. I was 17 years at Indiana as a player and as a basketball coach. And I swear to God, every time Indiana played Wisconsin, it was 
35 to 7 by halftime. Did you give even a thought when you were at Wisconsin about Indiana? My beloved Hoosiers could not only not play. Did you even give them a thought when you played them? Or was it, look, we're going to win by 100. Just don't get hurt in this game. It's funny when you're saying that, I'm thinking back to like the Dick Bennett days of Wisconsin basketball and even the Bo Ryan days. And I'm thinking he couldn't be talking about basketball or football right now. I know Indiana basketball has been a lot better, but with the score, I'm thinking, hey, a lot of good defense there in those basketball programs. But uh, actually, when I played at Wisconsin 2003 through 2006, we didn't really think much about Indiana. They were not very good. But right before right. I was there, they had Antoine Randall L who was electric and he was like a one-man wrecking crew and actually I think they beat Wisconsin pretty soundly at one point when he was their quarterback. Joe when I was at Indiana the first 16 years we played Wisconsin two times a year 32 games we were 31 and one against Wisconsin in <laughs> basketball now that's in the 80s uh, big boy that's, that's right that's in the 80s I was so. I was in short pants Knee-high to grasshopper. It all changed when Dick Bennett got there. That's right. Oh, man. Joe, thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate you. Love your stuff on Twitter. Uh, thanks for taking 20 minutes with us. Appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dan. At JoeThomas73 is where you can find me. Instagram, Twitter, all those good things. So I appreciate you having me yeah, on. Yeah, we're going to pub day, it, man. right? You too. Thank you. We're going to pub it. Joe Thomas is a great follow. I mean, a great, great follow on Twitter. Obviously a great dude, one of the all-time best. I mean, you're not, not, there's no better left tackle in the history of the NFL, let's be honest, and no better dude. And if you go and you follow Joe, you're going to enjoy and you're going to get informed and you're going to know. So nice of Joe to join us today. Got some things coming up here. Hey, I don't know if you saw it, but you know who the Broncos coach is, Nathaniel Hackett? Well, he went back on his kind of. He kind of went back on his 64-yard field goal attempt. My man, Rodrigo Blankenship, the Rex Specs. Well, it didn't work out great for him. We got news on the Suns' owner. We got a bunch to get to. We got What the Hell Wednesday coming up. Look, I got, I got a woman. And you're not going to believe what happened on the streets of New York coming up. My top five NFL teams after week one. We got a monster. That was a lot of fun with Joe Thomas. Look, here's the deal. The Cleveland Browns, I know that people go, well, it's just a Cleveland Brown. If you, if you, um, I don't know, if you follow football and you love the NFL, all right, do yourself a favor. Everybody talks about, well, I got to go see Jerry World, or, well, I got to go see Lambeau, or, well, I got to go, whatever you got to go see, okay? And you do. They're all great. But I'm telling you, take a Sunday where, and go to a Browns game. And what happens at the Browns games was this. You get there early. It's a crazy tailgate atmosphere. It's fun. You know, it feels safe. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I see a lot of Browns fans fighting. Everybody's drinking, laughing, having a game. It's one of the great stadium experiences that you'll ever have. Everybody knows about the dog pound, but the whole environment around it is great. Now, I don't know about that Keebler elf that they have as a mascot. I don't know about that bad boy. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But, that's Joe Thomas likes it. Guess what? I like it. 
That's the way we roll around here. Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas is a great dude. I loved watching him play as much as you can love watching a lineman play. At Joe Thomas 73. I'm telling you. We'll post it if you missed it. All right, we come back. Our man, Nathaniel Hackett, the coach of the Broncos. What up? And then Rodrigo Blankenship. He gone. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Uh, This is always good news. Outkick just reported that people have given up on woke Hollywood. I'm always glad about that. The Emmy Awards, uh, way, way down. 25% decline last night. Good. I don't need to see those clown ass woke. Oh, gosh darn it. Meg, I owe a dollar. That's $5. I'm going to send it if you don't mind. I'm going to send it to... Docket cycles for the city. Welcome, everybody. Joe Thomas was fantastic in the first half hour. All right, let's go to headlines last night. Nathaniel Hackett walked back, kind of, his decision to take, well, Russell Wilson off the field and bring on Brendan McManus, who wasn't his fault, man. The dude tried to kick a 64-yard field goal. As happens, Monday is press conference day for head coaches all around the NFL when they play on Sunday. So here was the coach of the Broncos talking about that decision. Here we go. You know, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Um, just not, not, you know, one of those things you look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. Um, but in that situation, we had a plan. I mean, we had a plan. We knew that the 46 was the mark. Uh, we were third and 15, I think, third and 13. I'm more upset about that play before it to lose yards, to be able to, you know, Getting that there would have definitely uh, been better to be able to call that same play and get extra yards. But um, he dumps it out to Javante. Javante makes a move, goes a lot farther than I think we had anticipated. We were expecting to go for it on fourth down. And then you hit the mark. You know, you know. Yeah, look, I get it. You hit the mark. You had a plan. I, I, I get all that. I do. Um, but I, I told you this yesterday. I had the opportunity when I was with Bob Knight. I did. I had the opportunity to sit with Parcells and Belichick. When Belichick was a young assistant, they would come during the combine and they would come to Bloomington and we'd go to lunch and we'd hang out in the locker room. And I remember the discussion one day of every game is different. The game is ever changing. The games are organic. And you can't sit there and say, well, we had a plan. That's our number. That's our number. Or you can't worry about whatever happened in the previous play. As he said, you just can't simply do it. I'm sorry. Now, you know, you got to, that play happened. We got to move to the other play, particularly late in the game. You don't have time. So if your number was 46, it's a stupid number because the guys never heard of it. The guys never hit a field goal from there. 
So the number should have been 42? I don't know. But this is where, where analytics gets in your way. I applaud Hackett for having a plan, and I applaud Hackett for explaining that plan. But again, I will always go back to this. I had the three greatest minds maybe ever in coaching, Belichick, Knight, and Parcells, and we're talking about situations exactly like that. And in those situations, you got to figure on the fly. And he didn't. And it cost him. Now, it didn't cost him. Who cares what some slap writes? But I will tell you this. In your first game as a coach in the NFL, you want to get above, like uh, beyond the media. You want to get ahead of all of the critics. You want them to be working uphill to appease you. Brian Dable is a perfect example. Brian Dable understood, look, the the, uh, Giants coach, I go for two and miss it. Hey, so what? Who cares? We weren't expected to be in this position anyway. I go for two and I make it. I'm a hero. But that's actually not what he was thinking. What he was thinking was, Brian Dable, with the Giants, that he understood he had a play that could win the game. He knew earlier in the game, this is from Urban Meyer too, he knew earlier in the game that something happened that was going to allow Saquon Barkley to go off the right side. He knew that. And so Brian Dable had absolute confidence 10 plays before, if we score a touchdown, we're running this based on what happened earlier in the game. This may be boring, nerdy coaching stuff, but this is the stuff that you're never going to hear from a media. Dable didn't say, well, if we lose, it doesn't matter. If we win, it, I'm a hero. You don't think that way. Yeah, a loss doesn't matter what anybody writes about you. A loss matters what happens in your soul when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning after a loss and you're done for the night. You know you're done for the night. You know when you go to bed, the minute you wake up to go to the bathroom, something wakes you up, it hits you. Boom. Oh, man, a loss. And you cannot wake and go back to bed. You cannot go back to bed. So the stupidity of the media of Dable knew that he was a hero if he made it. Didn't matter if he didn't. Same thing with Hackett is idiotic. It doesn't factor in. Believe me when I tell you this. I coached for 22 years, 25 years, whatever it was. 27 years. Don't even think that that factors in. No. Dable had a plan. Hackett had a plan. Good coaches have plans. But great coaches adjust those plans. And frankly, Hackett didn't. We're the 46. This is what we're going to be. Whatever number he said in that press conference. That's it. Okay. Fine. That's it. Bad plan. 64 yards. I'm sure, as I told you yesterday, they saw the kid kick him like crazy in practice. But I'm just telling you, as a coach, you got to adjust that. Wait a second here. Uh-uh. We got Russ. All of a sudden, we're, uh, we're fourth down. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, uh. No, I don't think we should do it. No, uh-uh. We got to go for it. We got to adjust. All right, next one. My man. My man, uh, well, Rodrigo Blankenship. Rodrigo Blankenship, guess what? He got cut. Now, going way back, 
there was a kicker. His name was Chase McLaughlin. Chase McLaughlin just got signed by the Colts. This is the other thing, and this is where Colts fans, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. I've been telling you this for years. In the NFL, there are winners, there are losers, there are survivors. Okay? You win, you lose, you survive. Okay. So this guy, Blankenship, competes against a guy named Chase McLaughlin. And to everybody that I know, and even though I ripped the Colts, I got so many spies around Indianapolis. Everybody told me McLaughlin was a better kicker. And they all told me the same thing. See the rec specs? See those? See all that? Um, Here's the deal. The rec specs, the quirkiness with the Legos, uh, our little writers did articles on his wedding. He's quirky. He's a little millennial guy. Love stories. Columnists crying over cats in Indiana. We go to press conferences and we do the article on Jimmy Ursay's dog. I'm telling you. So McLaughlin beats this guy out a few years ago. But because of all of the stuff that comes with this guy, Blankenship, the Rex Specs and the Legos, the Colts value relationships, so they say. The Colts value hype and shtick. So they kept this guy. It's been all right. I mean, he's a professional kicker, for crying out loud. But everybody, when you look at him, and he's coming in on wheelies, and he's playing with Legos, I don't want that guy kicking at the end of a game in an NFL game. I want a tough guy. I want McAfee. I want Vinatieri. I want Justin Tucker. I want dudes. So they cut this guy. You know who they bring in? The kid I told you about, McLaughlin. Everybody knew that, that it had any sense. Media didn't. There was an article written about this dude's Legos. There was an article written about a beautiful wedding that he had. Yeah, my backside. What are we doing in Indy? Indy is all, I'm telling you, and it drives me nuts. Indianapolis is all about the shtick. Hell, you know what we got today? Today we got an article about Andrew Luck is happy in retirement. Yeah, great. Who cares? Well, I care. I don't care. We had a deep dive into Andrew Luck. That deep dive said nothing about why he got paid $24 million, nothing about why he retired. That's a deep dive? People, you're nuts. But this guy was kept for shtick. Everybody that I talked to, I got former coaches here, I got spies everywhere saying McLaughlin beat him out, but hey, they're not going to keep him. In fact, I got one yesterday. I'll read it to you. Normally, I save this, ladies and gentlemen. Normally, I save this for my show, but it just drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. A few years ago, wait, where is it here? Hold on. Uh, I had it here somewhere where one of the guys, one of my spies that's still here in Indy told me about Rex Specs being beat out And then he told me about, hey, look, uh, they kept this guy because, well, frankly, um, they like his shtick. I remember telling you, Dan, way ahead of time that he would beat out McLaughlin in that town solely because of his shtick. I'm telling you, Indianapolis... Next time you see anybody, I don't care who it is. Hell, guys on Fox have said that Frank Reich's an elite coach. Guys all over the NFL love him. Please. Uh, (laughs) 
the owner of the Suns got suspended for a year. Now, look, I think that's interesting. I should have talked about it yesterday, but I don't feel like it. Uh, the owner of the Suns appears to be an old-school jackass. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. I'm not saying I'm right about it. I never met the man. But the owner of the Suns appears to be one of these old-school guys that because he's the owner, he can say what he wants to say to whom he wants to say it when he wants to say it. Well, this is the one area <clears throat> that I'm actually very happy about. I remember Knight used to rip my you-know-what. And I remember I'd go back at him. I remember one of our assistants walked out, a guy named Con Smith said, yeah, I ain't dealing with your crap anymore. I remember the AD at Indiana came to see me. Well, you know, we heard some things about you and Coach Knight. I go, ah, what you talking about? Nah. The old school yeller and screamer is who I was. But listen to some of this. Ready? Made illicit comment. This is the owner. Robert Sarver made illicit comment about his genitalia to a female employee. Who does that? Like, who does that? I guess the owner, the billionaire. I have been 27, no, wait, 15, 14, now going on 15 years in radio and TV. I was 10 years the head coach at Bowling. I was 12 years an assistant at Indiana. One year as the interim head coach at Indiana. I've never made a comment about my genitalia to a female employee. Hey, what? Pull down the shorts of a male employee in front of a group of <clears throat> team employees. Now, I got to tell you this. My wife is guilty of this. We were walking through the supermarket one day. It was late. <clears throat> we were having, we had all kind of stuff going on during the day. We were busy as heck. And by late, I mean like 8 o'clock. It was eight, 8 or 9, somewhere in there. And I'm wearing actually these shorts. She knew they did not have a string to tie them. So she pantsed me in the middle of the supermarket. That's right. I got pantsed. You know what did I do? I said, hey, I just kept walking, pushing the cart. And she was mortified. There was nobody in the aisle, but I got pantsed right in the middle of the supermarket. There was like zero people in the store. And she thought she'd be funny. She thought I'd be all aghast. I'm like, no, man, you did it. I'll just do it. If this is how we're going to go, I'll do it. I don't know. Asked a female employee while passing her in the hallway, did you get an upgrade this summer? Now, that can mean a lot of things. That can mean a lot of things. I mean a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen. One of them, well, I'm not even going to go into them. But what are we doing? Like, what in the hell are we thinking about when this is what we have become? This is a story I don't care about. But I don't know. I, I think I am starting to care about. Tom and Giselle. Tom and Giselle are having problems. Tom and Giselle are working through their problems, apparently, apparently, um, publicly. Giselle said in, I want to make sure I get the magazine right. By the way, how did any of these idiot magazines not put uh, 
what's-her-face Trump on the cover. My God, she's the most beautiful woman in the history of the world, not named Lee Ross. But Elle Magazine, she's a legendary supermodel. She said, I feel very fulfilled as a mother and a wife. Now it's going to be my turn, which means at 42 years old, Giselle is going to get out there, baby. She's going to get out there, and she's going to go back to work. Now, she's not going to get on the runway. You want to know how I like this? Because I used to subscribe to People Magazine, and I like this kind of stuff. That's right, I do. Don't at me about it. Tom is playing football, but apparently Tom doesn't care enough about this to do anything other than play football. And don't even pretend anybody really knows what's going on out there. Don't even pretend I'm actually making fun of this. I'm actually, uh, what's the right word? Uh, being facetious. All right? Being facetious is what I am being. Nobody knows what's going on with these two kooky kids. Nobody knows these two crazy kids. We don't know. How do we know? But I know this. It's playing out in public. And I know this as a person that loves People Magazine. Look, if you're going to be superstars in this world and you're going to do magazine interviews and you're going to talk about your marriage, then guess what? We are too. If you're going to be Derek Jeter and you're going to be private, then guess what? Most people will be too. And then you know what's going to happen? Then a 30 for 30 will come out. I smell a 30 for 30 coming here on Tom and Giselle. I, I smell it. Let's be honest. I smell 30 for 30 at some point, but good for Giselle, man. Hey, Tommy, baby, you want to go? Hey, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. If Tom Brady loses Giselle, he'll be a puddle just like the rest of us just like the rest of us. I don't know what's going to happen with these crazy kids, but God bless you. Hope it's better. Hope it gets better. Hope everything works out. We're all pulling for you, Tom. We love you, Tom. We love you, Giselle. I don't give a rat's backside about Tom and Giselle, but I think it's funny. All right. L-I-V. You know what live means? I don't either. And I'm not going to ask. Don't care. But live golf. Yeah, welcome. They're playing golf for $50 million. Now, I'm going to say that again. Golfers playing for $50 million. There's some kind of matchup, head-to-head knockout playoff. There is $50 million coming. Trump National, Doral, Miami, October 27th to the 30th. 12 four-man teams are going to compete for $16 million First place prize. The teams will be seeded one through 12. Top seeds will get a bye. Other eight will compete. I have no idea what all this means. It's the team series championship. Four days, match play, head-to-head, knockout playoff, winning team crown, team series champ, and there you go. Wow. Uh, I don't know. One longtime AES or uh, PGA player said it's very unsurprising that they would pick something so tacky and unoriginal to try to expand the game. It's effing lame is what it is. It's lame as blank. It's the XFL. It's an NBA mixtape. It's not competitive golf. It's a circus. Yeah. The four players on the second place team are going to split 10 million. Third splits 8 million. Fourth, 4 million. You make a million. Jeez, I got to tell you, 
in the history of sports, there have been many, many examples of money talks. There have. There have been a ton of examples. I think we've all seen the examples. But I got to tell you this. I don't think we've ever seen a bigger example of money talks than what the Live Tour is doing. Money talks, BS walks, and guys are coming over and supposedly, according to some guys that are tied into golf, another top 10 player is going to leave the PGA Tour because they call it, quote, Rory's Tour and come on over to the Live Tour. How about that? Don't blame them. Uh, yesterday, for whatever the reason, our wackadoodle president and his minions, including Nancy Pelosi, decided that they were going to celebrate. They were going to celebrate the greatness of them. Now, look, I get it. I totally get it. You got these wackos and you got those wackos. I personally am a non-wacko. I personally am common sense. I've said this a bazillion times on this show. I know this, my retirement, which I'm looking at, I mean, hell, I'm 60. I'm probably never going to retire, but you got to know is 401ks, stock market, at least my investments, gas prices, boom. The word inflation, unbelievable. 8.3% announced yesterday. And these idiots on a day when the stock market went down 1,200 points are out here celebrating. Now, look. People that have a lot of money, they can handle a $1,200 stock market reduction. They can handle $375 to $4 gas prices. They can handle it when the gas company or the electric company, as they did with us yesterday, sent us a notice saying that our things are going up. Our prices, our monthly rate going way up. You know who can't? The same people that these guys are trying to defraud, the middle class, people without the means to handle these things. These guys are acting like they've done something for the middle class. Have a brain, people. Think for yourself how incredibly tone deaf can you be? You know what happens when the markets go down? Business and corporations close. You know what happens when businesses and corporations close? People lose jobs. What is wrong with anybody that supports this nonsense? I don't care if you support Biden. That's fine. But nobody in their right mind can support this type of stupidity. Nobody in their right mind can support this tone deafness. Market, boom. Retirements, boom. Gas, up. It was announced inflation, 8.37%. Home mortgage, it was announced yesterday, 6.2% for young families to get a loan. You know what it was in January of 2021? 2.5%. And these idiots, on the day that it is announced, all of this awfulness, all of this hurtfulness to the American public, they choose to celebrate. It's, it's unconscionable to me. It's incredible to me. It's incredible to me that people are actually defending this stupidity. Have a little bit of sense. Stop being a politician for one freaking day. Stop being a clown 
for one freaking day. Who are the people behind this that are trying to get votes so bad that they put this facade up? And who are you people watching this that can't decide for yourself that these people need to go? Man, I've never been passionate about politics, never in my life. But yesterday kind of put me over the edge. Could you be more tone deaf? No, I'll answer that for you. Not a chance. Can you be more against what the fabric of our society is? No, no. People are hurting and these clowns are celebrating. People are going under and this idiot, a little bit of breathing room. Why a little bit of breathing room? Why not make America great? Why not give it? Why not do what we had going? Well, he's a criminal. I don't give a damn. You're all criminals. Every one of you is a criminal. Well, they stole document. I don't care. You know who I care about? Us, the American people. That's who I give a rat's about. These guys, the long, dark winter. Everything is crap. Man, I don't know how y'all do it. I, I don't. I, I don't know how. I'm good for you, man. I'm very happy that some of you can still support this because it shows that there is still stupidity in our country. The level of stupid is beyond anything that I have ever seen. That's why I don't even argue with people anymore. If people want to support this level of idiocy, then God bless you. God bless you. Honest to God, I'm trying to get on the YouTube chat because I know there's idiots on there that support this level of crap. It's amazing to me celebrating on a day where it's announced that inflation is 8.3% or 8.2%. Highest in, I don't know, since Jimmy Carter. Celebrate a pep rally. Today's inflation skyrocketed and Biden is having a celebration at the White House for the so-called inflation reduction. Americans are being crushed, and this White House is throwing a party. These people don't care about you. They hate working Americans. They do. They hate you. They absolutely hate us. They do. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And you know what? If you want to support it, I can't stop you. Certainly my voice doesn't matter in this. But I can tell you, you're being a total idiot, and you're being flim-flammed. You are. And those of you that don't know what that means, you don't know anything because you're voting and keeping these idiots in? Are you serious? Can you run that again? Inflation, 8.3%. Skyrocket. Market, down 1,200 points. You know what that was? Well, just for the rich. Well, what are those guys? Well, you know where Obama's living now? Check it out sometime. Check out where Clinton's living. Hell, Bush has always had money. You got, why would you allow yourselves to be fooled? I, you know, look, you can turn the channel all you want. They, Ronnie Jackson, I don't know who the hell Ronnie Jackson is, but Ronnie Jackson ain't wrong. Ronnie Jackson could not be more right. They hate us. All they care about is staying in power. All they care about is their greed. We're going to play a clip by Pelosi that shows you just what a complete buffoon this woman is. Well, you're supposed to clap here. You'll see it. It's coming up next. 
I got a clip for you on this idiot Pelosi. It is incredible, remarkable how dumb they think we are. And I guess we are. Supposedly 84 million people voted for this stupidity. A Inflation Reduction Act party. When Americans are getting crushed at 8.3 inflation and the market dropped 1,200 points. People yesterday, oh man, got crushed. Look at the sign he's making in this picture. Huh. We'll be right back. You got to see this idiot Pelosi when we come back. You got to see this video. Whatever side you're on, you got to see this video. By the way, DraftKings. Man, oh man. Hey, look, sign up. Go to DraftKings.com. Go to download the DraftKings app. Sign up. And guess what? You, if you bet $5, which you should, you can get $200 in free bets. That's right. $200 in free bets at DraftKings. I'm riled up. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm so riled up about this. It makes me crazy. And there are idiots out there that are going to say, I had a lady yesterday tell me this. Well, at least we have a president that's trying to change climate change. Really? At least we got a president that's doing something about climate change. Yeah, I suppose at least we got a president that's doing something about climate change. Okay. Dumbasses. Wait till you see this Pelosi clip. Tell your friends. Let's go. Tell them. Tell them. Be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, What the Hell Wednesday came on Tuesday. This is from Tuesday. I told you, wait till you see this Pelosi clip. Nancy Pelosi yesterday during a celebration, apparently celebrating 8.3% inflation. That's the report that came out. And their Inflation Reduction Act. Are we that stupid? I mean, I want to bang my head against the table here. It's incredible. All right, here's Nancy Pelosi yesterday. You got to listen fairly closely because she can't speak. She's such an idiot. Go ahead. The kitchen table items for America's working families. Mr. President, thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger, fairer, safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I, that's an applause line. <laughs> Jill was applauding. <laughs> and let us salute Leader Schumer, his colleagues in the Senate, for their extraordinary leadership and the success in bringing this bill forward. That's an applause. For kitchen table items. That's an applause line. This is who's leading our country, these morons. This is who is setting policy. This is who you are voting for. 
That's an applause line. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, a lot of you out there are just really nice people, right? You're really nice. Can you imagine what these clowns say behind closed doors about you and me? Can you imagine how dumb they feel you and I are? No, I don't think you can because some of you are so incredibly blinded by your love of party, by your hatred of Donald Trump. You got to get rid of that. Yeah, okay, you don't like Donald Trump. Hey, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? All right, great. But think about your kids. I mean, what's going to happen in this country? I'll tell you what's going to happen. At some point, there's probably going to be a civil war. And it isn't necessarily going to be a race war. It's going to be like, hey, wait a second. People are saying to themselves, what are are we doing here? Like, we're getting smashed here in our own country. I'm telling you, at some point, nothing would surprise me. Let's put it that way. Nothing would surprise. I could see people saying, hold on. Crime is nuts. We have no morals. Our government is taking things away from us left and right, making us feel like idiots. I got to tell you, I could see something. I'm not, you know, I don't know, but I'm just saying I could see something like that happening. I've said that 10 years ago when I started looking at this, going, my God, uh, the FBI is going to be knocking on my door. I bet they are. Didn't they take the pillow guy? Didn't they take his phone yesterday? Man, Sean Ricard says they need an applause sign. I mean, maybe we declined economically, would have with Trump, but not like this. I've always said, man, you need a businessman running the biggest business in the world, and that's the United States government. How stupid. How stupid is it? Like, people are fed up. Can we play that clip again? People are absolutely fed up. I love that. Pelosi wants to clap. That's an applause line. What? We're all... uh, How good is that pension? How good is that congressional pension? Can we play Pelosi's uh, uh, clip again? The kitchen table items for America's working families. Mr. President, thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger... Fair, safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I that's an applause line. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Applause for the master. Jill was applauding. Joe Biden. (laughs) Look at this. (laughs) Hi, I'm Nancy. (laughs) Look at that face. Hi, I'm Nancy. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I'm with Jennifer, man. Jennifer says, uh, look, I'm so fed up. Why don't we have term limits? Why don't we get these people out of here? Why, why don't we? Why, why don't we? It's all, Jennifer's saying this on our YouTube. It is all about power and greed. People need to wake TF up. My God. I mean, there is like, I'm going to get to another one here at the end. You're not going to, wait till you hear Camilla Harris. Wait till you hear that. See, Camilla Harris, at least, this woman is arrogant because of years in office and she knows she's untouchable and she thinks we're all stupid. Pelosi, Camilla Harris is just lazy. 
Camilla Harris just isn't going to prepare for anything. Like, it, it, and I came to this conclusion, the more I watch Camilla Harris, I'm like, well, she doesn't respect whoever's interviewing her enough to prepare for anything. We'll get to that in a minute. How about this? Maybe this is why, maybe this is why Nancy Pelosi, Camilla Harris, and Joe Biden have no respect for us. Let's play this next clip. Watch this woman walking down the street. There's no audio to it. But watch what happens here. Watch this one. You're going to go, what? We got to play this at least twice, uh, Dylan and Ryan. We do. Got to play it at least twice. Watch this. Here she comes. She's got her coffee. Looking around. Look at the guys. If we can play that again. Watch the cop there. Watch the cop right here. The guy with his back turned. Watch him. Maybe we, all right, he's looking. Now look at him. He puts his left hand out. What the hell? I don't know, Megan. I don't know. Maybe Pelosi and Biden are on to something. Maybe they are. Maybe they have it figured out, right? Maybe they've got this figured out. Maybe they know that we're all just so incredibly stupid and helpless that we walk under a hose. For those of you that are saying, well, you know, she didn't want to kink the hose, right? You didn't want to put a, well, step over the hose. <laughs> I know I don't have to say that, but step over the freaking hose. I think Pelosi and Biden are onto something. We might just be that stupid. You want to see stupid? How about the San Francisco bike correlation? Hey, let's just rob and steal and not even worry about it. I like that. The woman takes the under. Uh, San Francisco Bike Coalition says not to call police about stolen bikes because it hurts black and brown people. Huh? Swah. Don't call the cops when your bike gets stolen because that person stealing it might be, quote, black or brown. And it hurts them. Really? Hey, I don't give a rat's ass. Don't steal my bike. Why are you stealing my bike? I don't give a damn who it hurts. It hurts me that your dumbass stole my bike. And why? I tell you what, I got three bikes stolen in my life. I did. One from our garage, white guy. One from our neighbor's front, white guy stole it. One from Gary Lou Wallace High School, black guy stole it. Saw those two guys. Saw the one guy that stole Saw them all, actually. But crime has skyrocketed since 2020. Bike theft has grown into an epidemic. Uh... Their considerations segment of their website that victims of bike threats should consider call, not, reconsider calling the police because black and brown people could be harmed in the interaction. One Twitter responder said, uh, black and brown people are way overrepresented as bike thieves, but don't call them because they'll be impacted by police. What are we doing? Uh, Stanley Roberts 
Uh, he's like, and he's an African-American guy, says, what? Like, normal, real people would say, what? Huh? What? You're saying we're doing, huh? Screw that. Screw your bike commission. Don't steal bikes. I don't care if you're black, brown, or white. Don't steal a freaking bike. And if you steal a bike and the owner comes on, I hope they beat the hell out of you. Man, oh man, reporting stolen bikes is racist now. I don't know what to tell you, but my God, are we out of our ever-loving mind. I mean, we are insane in this country with this stuff. It's why I bought a gun. I'm sure it's not going to end well if I ever have to use it, probably for me. But if we're going to have a lawless society then at least in my little house, uh, I'm going to protect myself, my wife, my kids, period. Jeez. Might be why I need to run for mayor. We need law and order. We do need law and order. It's ridiculous what's going on here. It's asinine in San Francisco. My God, what are you doing? All right, this may be another example of why Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden all think we're stupid. I have a theory in life, and it's not a great theory. Leave wild animals wild. Leave wild animals in the wild. There's no reason to mess with a wild animal. I'm a hero. I know I am. I took a little fawn out of our creek here that had broken legs and was being eaten eaten by by flies. My wife's like, you got to do something. So we got a box. I wrapped it up. I put it in a box. We called animal whatever. And next thing you know... We save, I think, this fawn's life. Fellas, let's move forward. Here's this guy. Look at this guy. Why are we messing with an alligator? Why is Bob Barker screwing around with a wild alligator? What are you thinking? Now, I'm going to give this guy credit as we move forward. What does he think is going to happen right here? What's going to happen right here? And this other idiot, whoa, you know what's going to happen right here. I'll give the guy credit. He fights the alligator off. Lucky that foot didn't get in the alligator's mouth. Lucky his uh, size 11. This guy's got guts. Like, okay. Apparently, if you blind alligators, uh, you can handle them. What are we go- What's the end game here? Help me out here. What's the end game on getting this alligator, I guess, under control? Can somebody tell me? Is there anybody here that can tell me? Maybe Pelosi, maybe Biden, maybe everybody's right. Maybe they're all right. Maybe they all know. Maybe we are so stupid that we need some Botox to an inch of her life, some dementia-ridden president, uh, some sniffing Joe Biden. Hey, little girl. Uh, and then, then maybe we need them helping us. Maybe we need Sniffin' Joe. Maybe we need uh, fra- fa- Facelift Nancy to get us right. When you see videos like that, you look around and you go, huh. You know that song, Things That Make You Go, hmm? Things That Make You Go, hmm? Things That Make You Go, hmm? 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 Yeah, well, that makes me go, hmm. What's the end game? I always try to think of the end game. 
Don't mess with wildlife. Don't. It's a simple thing. Don't mess with wildlife in the wild. Go to a zoo, look at them, go, man, those bears are cool. Wow. I love the different species of alligator. They look prehistoric. Say that, and people go, sure do. (sighs) Unbelievable. It really is. Uh, Thank God for Nancy Pelosi. Thank God, as you'll see in about two clips, Kamala Harris. She spews her intelligence. Her lazy ass doesn't prepare for interviews intelligent. But first, I talked of this yesterday. First, I spoke of strippers in nursing homes. Strippers in nursing homes, I'm not opposed to. I'm sorry, I'm not. The New York Post had it. Nursing home hires strippers for seniors in wheelchair. We are very sorry. Do you know where that quote came from? That we are very sorry quote? I'll give you a hint. It didn't come from dudes in wheelchairs. It came from the nursing home. It came from not the dudes in the chairs. You know, they say that that place, what is it, in Florida? The retirement village, the colonies, I think it is. Isn't that what the villages down in the middle of Florida has the highest STD rate, sexually transmitted disease, for those of you that don't know. The villages has the highest STD rate in the country. You know who lives in the villages? Guys like me, old dudes. Still trying to slang it around. That's right. Old dudes. Every single person. Way better than Pinocchio. Ryan, you're on it today. I like it. Every single dude in that strip joint said yay. Yeah. Can we have this every day instead of playing Parcheesi? Can we have a little, you know... Can Crystal or Mercedes come over and give us a little bit of this? You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Every single guy in there wants that again. Look, take it when you get older, it ain't about forgetting, not wanting, not capable of sex. No, it's that the availability isn't there. My grandfather, the great John Wurzba, He didn't know my name until I really got into uh, the sports page. It would be Jimmy, Joey, Dennis, Jerry Michael, Tommy, Yuhei. We were all cousins. That was all of our cousins and my brother. I was always Yuhei. All right. Well, then my grandfather and I, uh, Pinochle, Dan, not Pinocchio. Yeah, I know. Anyway, my grandfather, once I got in the paper and I became pretty close, My grandmother died. She got hit by two trains. True story. Train track going this way, train track going that way. She was distracted, saw the train over here, was way over there, didn't look this way. She looked that way, train over here, no problem, forgot to look this way. Boom, she got hit. The other train hit her. How about that? Anyway, my grandfather and I got pretty close. He would come down to games. He would call me, that kind of thing. But then he started telling me about his sex life. And I got to tell you, I live a pretty graphic life. I do. Kind of gross with my friends. We all are. We laugh. We talk. Whatever. 
I'm not sure I've ever heard anything grosser than my grandpa. And I got to tell you, now that I'm starting to get to his age, I understand it. It's not a lack of want to. It's a lack of availability. And at least for these guys in this nursing home, the fantasy was real. I don't endorse porn. I'm not porn guy. I'm monogamy guy. But I got to tell you, give the people what they want, baby. Give the people what they want. All right. Every, you, we could do this every day. There's a great follow on Twitter called Clown World. Clown World, I, I, we need to have Clown World moment on this show. Like, Clown World, we could go to every single day and find a, oh, I don't know, uh, Nancy Pelosi or a Camilla Harris. See, the difference, Pelosi is so arrogant that she talks down around and really, really ridiculous to us. So does Joe Biden, except Joe's got an excuse. He don't know where the hell he is. His wife's a doctor, and they're so power-hungry, he, she just keeps trotting him out. But Kamala Harris is a different deal. Kamala Harris just says, screw it, I'm the vice president. I'm not preparing for any of these interviews. That's the conclusion that I've come to. Whenever she speaks, there's no preparation. Whenever she speaks, I guarantee you this. Remember this day. What's the date today? Like the 14th, 13th, 13th of September. Remember this day on Don't At Me, on Outkick. After this whole regime is out of the way, a speechwriter or someone close to Kamala Harris will talk about the frustration of she never preparing and making a mockery of the people that worked for her because of her ridiculous interviews. All right, let's play the latest in Kamala Harris' stupidity, arrogance, and lack of preparation, shall we? We have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border's secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. We also have to put in place a, 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 a law and a plan for a pathway for citizenship. Isn't there a law and a pathway to citizenship right now? Don't people that come in legally, legally, legally have a path? Can you play that again? Just, just I want you not to listen to the words because the words are that of an idiot. Uh, shouldn't be an idiot, educated, but she just doesn't prepare. She has absolutely no regard for you, me, informing, no regard. So she wings it and every single speech she comes out looking ill-prepared and moronic. May we, shall we, play this again? Two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border's secure? We have a secure border. Look at this. Fantastic. In that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix given the deterioration that happened over the last four years, we also have to put in place a, 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 a law and a plan 
for a pathway for citizenship. These are our leaders, ladies and gentlemen. These are our leaders. These are the people that are telling you and me and setting you and me, well, they're telling us that we're morons, and they're setting us up for an incredible failure. I mean, incredible failure. Of course she interviews with that hack, Chuck Todd. Everybody understands it's going to be a softball interview. We have secure borders. Look, I don't know if every, in fact, I do know that things that I put or read on Twitter and other places, frankly, I don't believe, but I do believe my eyes. And I do believe when I see thousands of people crossing into the United States, and I do believe a man named Paul Krebs, who lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who was my boss at Bowling Green when, he, when we had dinner. And he's like, Dan, people are just running all over our neighborhoods, every neighborhood, uh, because they got to go somewhere. And Albuquerque isn't on the border. So this buffoon who's in charge of the border has never been to the border. And you had a guy in Donald Trump that was trying to rebuild the border. And later in that interview, she makes fun of Trump's ability to, well, they didn't get it done in four years. I don't know about you, but I know this. There was one one thousandth of the people illegally crossing into the United States because the United States secured the border, cared about. This is just a big F you to the United States, to people like you and me. That's all it is. It's just a big F you. It's one of those things where you go, this lady's just going to talk. She's just going to say words. She's not going to prepare. And we're all supposed to just believe it. And it doesn't have anything to do with black, white, Republican, or Democrat. It just has to do with these people. And because they're Democrat, we talk about Democrats, but we elected these people. We elected these morons. We elected these people that don't care enough about you. And I'm sure Kamala Harris is very smart, but she's ill-prepared for every interview. She literally doesn't know what she is speaking on when she's speaking on it. So she just tries to give you a bunch of words that literally mean nothing. literally mean not one damn thing. And Joe Biden yesterday, I go back to it, Lee. I do. Lee's bringing me a cup of coffee. Lee should run for president. We literally yesterday had 8.3% inflation, 1,200 points. The market was down. It came out yesterday, a home loan, 6.25%. Do you know what it was January 2021? 2.2%. And that was high. A lot of people were getting better. And yesterday, these folks are celebrating. And on Sunday, Kamala Harris is on with Chuck Todd on NBC saying that crap. Lee knows. I don't get that fired up about politics. She does. I listen. I pay attention. But this has me blanked off. These people are celebrating 401ks going to hell. Gas prices at $4. They're celebrating the fact that inflation, you cannot even go into your freaking supermarket and find anything. You, we, yesterday, Lee opened it up. She opened up our mail. It said your electric bill is going to go skyrocketing. Did it not? How much? 12%. 12%. It's going up. 
And these people sit there and they try to convince us that this Inflation Reduction Act is working on that day. Look, tone deaf isn't the word. Stupid is the word. And I got to tell you, I'm fed up with it. That's the reason I came to OutKick. You know, ESPN, you can't say, now you, you can say something if you're uh, L. Duncan or Stephen A. Smith. You can say the idiot things that they bring back cap. Oh, we want cap. It's the reason I came over here. You can speak. I don't know how you people that defend this do it. I don't. I have no idea how you folks that defend this crap do it. I have never been in love and in bed with an ideology or a party. I listen. I think. I pay attention. I read. We have a secure border and word salad, word salad, blah, 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 blah. I don't know how y'all do it. I, I don't. And I'm guessing most of you that listen to my show or watch my show, you really don't think this is a good direction. I mean, working class people, a dummies, uh, Camilla and Biden, working class people have 401ks that are going in the toilet. Working class people pay for electricity that's going up 12%. Working class people are starting to understand, ridiculously so, that going to a restaurant is actually cheaper than going to a grocery store. Look it up. We paid more in tax last year. The average American paid more in tax than they did on home goods. That's not right. That, that's not right. That, that is not right. And I will say this. This is the way they want it. You keep people down, you keep the worst among us in power. Charles Barkley, I'm not even getting into that. I'll get in trouble. But what a ridiculous freaking day yesterday was. We have not had a more ridiculous day from our politicians. Maybe, you know, January 6th was a ridiculous day. Ridiculous, idiotic, asinine, stupid. Should never have happened. But I got to tell you, yesterday, my God. That affected all of us. That affected every single one of us when they said inflation 8.3, when the market dropped uh, uh, 12%, when home loans went up to 6.25%. We're insane when we celebrate that. What are we doing? We'll be right back. It just blanks me off. I get passionate about certain things. Never before about politics, but yesterday, sometime before about politics, but yesterday just put me in a spin cycle that has driven me bat blank crazy. And I feel stupid talking about anything else. But hey, when we come back, I am going to tell you my top five NFL teams. We got a woke and dope, another idiot. Uh, we'll have that for you next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. about that? That's uh, Denver Harris. That's Denver Harris, a five-star recruit for the Texas A&M Aggies driving through a parking lot. Jesus. I, I, look, uh, you want to kill somebody? There you go. 
that's how you do it. Well, I mean, I guess uh, if you drink and do it, that'd be worse. But this is what happens in college campuses, man. Dudes just, hey, look, I'm whoever. You're going to drive through a parking lot and be dumb enough to live stream it. Now, I don't know. Maybe Denver Harris is a great driver. Maybe he was filming an NIL video. But this is incredibly stupid. Look, I expect young folks to be stupid. Hell, I was stupid. You look back and you're like, well, lucky I didn't kill somebody. So I'm not going to go off on it. But this is just incredibly stupid. And you're going to see more and more incredibly stupid stuff. As we pay more money to kids. And I'm all for it. I'm not for the stupid stuff. I'm all for paying more money. But this is not just a young person's problem. Let's go to one of our all-time favorite dirt bags. I know you all love them, but let's check in, shall we? Just a little bit on Brett Favre. Can we check in on Brett Favre? Former governor helped Brett Favre get welfare funds for a volleyball stadium at his beloved, at his beloved Southern Miss, where, oh, by the way, uh, Brett Favre's daughter plays. Now, what are we doing? Back in the day, Brett Favre had a fraud case against him. Now, though, there are text messages. Boy, texts will kill you. Text and email will kill you. But Brett Favre, an investigative report, revealed that former Mississippi Governor Phil Bryan helped former NFL quarterback Brett Favre attain, obtain welfare funds in order to help build a new volleyball center. Text messages between 2017 and 2019 filed Monday. Uh, in a civil lawsuit over misspent welfare funds. The texts were filed by an attorney representing Nancy New. She's pled guilty to 13 felony counts of bribery, fraud, and racketeering for her role in welfare schemes. All right. Now, the texts show Favre, New, and the former Governor Bryant dis discussing how to divert at least $5 million in welfare funds to build a volleyball stadium at Southern Miss, if you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? Wow. Uh, the, the governor, our new, who is, you know, the lady indicted, says we never have that information publicized. Favre uh, was text, wow, just got off the phone with Phil Bryant. He's on board with us. We will get this done. Bryant, the former governor, told New he had just finished a meeting with Favre and asked her if, she, if they could help with his project. There you go. Favre has been honorable throughout this whole thing, his lawyer says. Uh, last year, Favre had to pay back $600,000 to the state because he was paid out of welfare funds, I guess, uh, for things that he, speeches that he never gave. He was commissioned in 17 and 18 to promote a state poverty-fighting initiative, and he received $1.1 million. He gave back $500, but uh, earlier this month, he was asked to repay the interest plus the remainder. Favre is a beauty. Like, we got one guy, and that's fine. You, you know, when you're a kid and you're, you're bulletproof, you drive through a parking lot, great. But when you're Brett frickin' Favre, what are you doing? Like, how stupid can you be? Seriously. Don't at me about it either. 
Golly, I've said this before and I'll say this again, and I'm sure in the state of Indiana they feel the same about me, but it is always the same people. Like, you can open up your, close your eyes and go, all right, Mississippi, who are we going to read about doing something stupid? Oh, man, Lane Kiffin will do something funny. Oh, Brett Favre, it'll be something stupid. Yeah, Uh, you can Seriously, you, you, you can, you will, you have, and it'll never, ever stop. That's what guys like Brett Favre do. Look, some five-star recruit, no, Jimbo Fisher, it's a bad mark on you. The kid could have killed somebody. He's got to understand there should be backlash. But Brett Favre, what the hell? You're stealing from the poor to build a volleyball center? <clears throat> I don't know. All right, Danny D's top five, top five teams in the NFL. Are we going from five to one or one to five? Let's go one to five because I want to celebrate. Number one, no, let's go five to one. We got to build up drama, don't we? We got to build up to a raucous conclusion. Now, look, here's what I do. I only base these things on what I see. I don't base them on Slappy Johnny's commentary because Slappy Johnny is in bed with the freaking bears or whatever. No, Double D only goes by what's real, and Double D likes talking about himself as Double D. Number five, numero five. You don't like it. I love it. The Ravens. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ravens, 24 to 9 over the Jets. And I got to tell you, three touchdown passes for my man, and they cruise. You don't cruise very often early in the year against an NFL team. And what I liked about this is Robert Sala is keeping receipts. Robert Sala is the coach of the Jets, and he's keeping receipts on all of you that say, we're not going to be very good. All right. What are you going to do with the, I'm going to stick those receipts. Okay. Look, the media in Indy told us and embarrassed and shamed uh, Carson Wentz and other athletes and we're le- uh, to get the vaccine. And we're learning now how awful the vaccine is for some people. Uh, but the media don't care. They're going to keep doing their stupid stuff. So, Robert Sala, your receipts are going to fall on deaf ears. Nobody gives a rat's if Robert Sala has receipts. I'm sorry. They don't. I've got receipts. Yeah. 23-7, to 7, ladies and gentlemen. That was the score of the Vikings throttling of the Packers. 23-7. to It was in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, as I said yesterday, was absolutely off the chain. Yo, dynamite. He was great. He was fantastic. He was ridiculously good. Brett Favre got screwed. Guy drops a pass. Brett Favre was on with Pat Mack yesterday, and he was basically just said, look, drops happen, but mental mistakes are too many. Here's what I liked about the Minnesota Vikings. They seemed, and I hate to say this word because it's opening day, but they seemed to play with a joy. Look, I love Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer would come on my show when he was a defensive coordinator over in Cleveland. I don't know why I went that way. That way, that's east. It would be that way, southeast. But anyway, Mike Zimmer, I like Mike Zimmer, but I'm a big Vikings fan now because my buddy Ryan Grigson is assistant GM, and I knew they would be tough because Ryan Grigson, 
as a GM with the Colts, instilled a toughness that has been lacking, and Ryan Grigson will instill and has instilled a toughness in the Vikings. We'll see where it goes. But I can only give you one game's reference. I don't care what Kimberly Martin or Mike Graziano say on ESPN. Stop it, stupid. I got my own eyes. I see. Uh, Numero Trace, the San Diego Los Angeles football charges. They won 24 to 19. They beat the Raiders. Now, here's the deal. I felt like this game should have been way, way. I felt like the Chargers played way better than 24 to 19. I did. I'm watching this game, and all I see is a very frustrated Derek Carr. All I see is a guy uh, in Derek Carr and the rest of the uh, Raiders that were completely picked apart. They were. Now, the score got close. Herbert threw three touchdown passes. It was a big rivalry game that I felt was never in doubt. I'm sure it was. I mean, look, it's easy to say never in doubt when you're not there, when you're not participating. But I thought the Chargers, I really did. I thought the Chargers looked really good. And in games like that, in openers, there is a theory in coaching that for the first three or four weeks, the best a team is going to play is opening day with if they have to go on the road against a big-time opponent. Because Josh McDaniels, the Las Vegas coach, had all this time to prepare. They heard about Justin Herbert all offseason. They heard about the Chargers being a potential Super Bowl team out of the AFC. And here you are, a team that fought like crazy last year. They did. I mean, you got to give Las Vegas credit last year. They fought like crazy. They came in here and beat the Colts with an interim coach. They made the playoffs. They did. So you got to think there was a little bit momentum. Now you got the boy Wonder coming in here, and uh, didn't go so good. But I got to tell you, why didn't it go so good? It didn't go so good because Justin Herbert's a bad boy. Got to go back to Thursday. We forget about Thursday. We forget about Thursday night, opening night football. We do. We forget about it by the time Tuesday comes around of the next week. Well, now it's Wednesday. We've even forgotten about it more. But this guy has it. This guy remembers. The second best team in the NFL after week one as we move to week two is the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills' performance on Thursday night against the defending champion Rams could, ladies and gentlemen, could have landed them as number one if not for the number one team. But I got to tell you, and I'll tell you this, and I'll keep telling you this, and I'll never stop telling you this. The opening drive of the Rams, or excuse me, of the Bills should be put on a loop for every high school or college or NFL coach to study, to look at, to go, let's see what they did here, and then to try to duplicate. That should be the standard. It was smooth. It was effective. It was executed properly. And obviously, they scored a touchdown. It was a literal, literal thing of beauty. It was. Now, I got Thursday and Friday to walk you through who's going to be the best this week or who's going to win or whatever. But I got to tell you, the Rams, man, oh, man, numero uno, or numero dos, they were good. The Rams... I get distracted. What's wrong with me? The Rams? Why do I have the Rams on there? 
It's the Bills, dummy. God dang it. This show, my brain, I stinks. It ain't the Rams, Dylan. It ain't the Rams. It's the Bills. Just turn me off. I, I tell you this much. Just, I just the level same thing. of stupid just out of me. Huh? I said I wondered the you same thing. You thought the same thing? Why is he? Why am I putting the Rams? Is that what you said? Yeah. Dan, what are you doing? I thought you knew something I didn't. It, I don't know anything that anybody doesn't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't get me. I don't complete me. No, I'm an idiot. It's the Bills, dummy. I got to go to the YouTube chat and see them rip me. This is what happens. This is what happens when you let me have a TV show. This is what happens. Dumb. All right. We got it cleared up, though. Put an X on that. Let's move forward. It's the Bills. 297 yards. Four touchdowns is what my man Josh Allen accounted for. And away we go. Von Miller, couple sacks. They had seven. I stinks. Don't listen to me. Turn me off. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Deplorable, if you will. (sighs) Number one, the Chiefs. Let me move on. Hey, we all make mistakes. Only God can judge me. It's in the past. (laughs) The Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. That's an easy one, isn't it? Look, you got a rivalry game. You got Arizona at Arizona. Arizona, oh, baby, Kyler Murray, we signed him up. Kyler Murray, blah, 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 blah. Yeah? Patrick Mahomes comes in. Whap, 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 whap. Next thing you know, boom, the route is on. And the fellas from Glendale, Arizona are sent a packing. And I got to tell you, me likey, because Patrick Mahomes caught more grief than anybody for whatever the reason this offseason. I got a lot of people on Twitter saying, well, Patrick Mahomes didn't catch any grief. Well, then you weren't paying attention. As soon as idiots like, I've had a lot of idiots today. I did. Tyreek Hill start opening their mouth. We pay attention. Uh, We have on the Twitter chat, on the YouTube chat, greatest fat guy. Wow. Chris Farley, Mr. French, Fatty Arbuckle, and Taft. Me likey. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I got Chris Farley, and it's not close. I don't even know who those other guys are. But I like it. Uh, Dan, Tampa Bay is better than the Ravens. No, they're not. No. Thank you for changing that, by the way. No, they're not. Not yet. Not yet. And Tom Brady is, is talking about all his aches and pains. No. Patrick Mahomes, number one. The Bills, number two. The Chargers, number three. The Vikings, number four. The Ravens, number five. Is that going to change? Of course it is. Of course. All right. Who's the woke dope of the day, big boy? Who do we got? I need a – we've had a lot of woke dopes today, and I thank everybody for watching. We got a lot of woke dopes. I mean, a lot. Texas, where Republicans provide plenty of energy to control your body, but no energy to control your thermostat. That is the 10th of July. Let's read from the man who I do believe is this the guy that slept with the Russian spy? It's time to rally, California. We all need to do our part. Avoid power outages. 
between 4 p.m. Pre-cool your home. After 4, boy, let's keep them lights on. All right. Well, I got to tell you, I don't want you controlling my thermostat. It ain't my problem, California. Look, let's be honest. We hire people to do jobs. We do. We hire companies. We invest in companies. And when they're not doing their job, it all falls back to us. You got a governor in Newsom out there that wants you to keep your thermostat to 78 degrees. And if you don't, he wants you to sign up for a thing where he can control your thermostat. What are we doing? You want, I, you know, let me tell you something. I don't even want my friends, my best friends, that come into my house to control my thermostat. I don't want them touching my thermostat. I don't want them looking at my thermostat. My house, my rules, my thermostat, but they want you to control, they want to control your thermostat. So now all of a sudden, oh, God dang. Look, I can't say nothing. I'm the idiot that put the Rams instead of the Bills. Next time there's something so egregiously stupid, uh, feel free to tell me, hey, Dan, you're being egregiously stupid. What did you do here? Oh, no. But anyway, keep your home to 78. Don't do nothing after four. How about you all figure out your problems? How about you all figure out, you big-time energy companies, you government entities, how about you all figure it out? Isn't that what we hire politicians to, to figure things out? Isn't that why we invest, we give land, we give sweetheart deals to power companies and stadiums and all the different things we give sweetheart deals to? Don't we do that for them to figure it out? Look, I understand people are part of the solution. People are also part of the problem. We get all this. But damn. And I also understand that in certain ways, everybody must do their part. But what is wrong with you people? You guys always talk about helping the American people, all you politicians. That's great. Help us. But when it goes back, oh, man. Look, I don't understand the world that we live in from a political standpoint. I don't understand how people think that you can just simply go about the business of hanging out, you know, for 50 years as a politician. I don't understand it. But then again, it is not mine to understand. I don't understand that we as a people allow people like Biden, people like Pelosi, people like this guy, Eric Solwell or whatever, who slept with Russian spies who are that stupid to lead us. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to keep fighting it. I'm going to fight the hell out of it. I'm going to fight the living hell out of it every day. I think we have to. I think we have a moral obligation to fight for what is just normal and decent in the world's greatest country. My God, we had this thing rocking and rolling a few short years ago. We got to get it rocking and rolling again. And I don't give a daggone if there's a Democrat in there or a Republican. I don't care if it's Trump or Thump or Bump or Hump. Get people in here that care about us. Jeez, I've lived my whole life and the first time, America used to always be going forward, whether it was space, whether it was business, whether it was engineering, whether it was technology, it always was going forward. What have we seen? What have we seen in the last two years? We've seen a complete reversion to the Jimmy Carter inflation horrendous era. The worst president of all time is being surpassed now in our lifetime. And I'm telling you right now, 
And I'll continue to tell you this. Don't think for a second that you conservatives have this midterm deal in the bag. You don't. Because you see what's happening here. Lies. Many lies. Celebrations of 8.3 inflation. Celebration of 6.25 home loans. Celebration of 1,200 uh, points dropped on our freaking uh, stock market. A celebration by a government that thinks you're an idiot. That thinks I'm an idiot. That thinks we're all idiots. Jeez. And if you think they're going away quietly, you are out of your mind. Because, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, power, greed, and money is an addiction just like every other addiction. And the folks we talked about today, whether it was Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, certainly Joe Biden, they all have it. People that work for them have it. People that support them all have it. They'll cheat to keep it. And you better be on the lookout. All right, I'm going to be uh, 107.5 The Fan coming up here. Oh, I don't know, in an hour and four minutes. You can check it out, 107.5thefan.com. I'm going to talk about this coming up. You know, in our world here, Carson Wentz and others were called bad teammate, horrible leader, shamed, get out of town because they didn't get the vaccine. WRTV, I think it was here in Indianapolis, just released a study whereby another horrible thing about the vaccine Donors and transplants. Transplants aren't taking the people who got the vaccine. Will the media ever apologize? You'll never hear it. Never in your lifetime. Dylan and Ryan, absolutely fantastic stuff today. We will be back at it tomorrow. I appreciate all of you that watched on our YouTube channel. I appreciate all of you that watched on Twitter. Thank you for that. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow.